0: Okay, so here we are, Community Center. Just a very, very brief recap. Uh, We've been in Judges 6, and we've been using the story of Gideon to talk about God's will for our lives. So first we learned that lasting change is only possible when we find our purpose in God. When we make God our purpose, wherever he leads us, he will give us everything that we need in order for him to accomplish the plans that he has for us, which leads us to number two, that God believes in us and is with us, and so we should trust him in that. And that complete trust in God means that we need nothing else. That no matter what happens, no matter where we go, no matter what life brings our way, if he is our purpose and we're following him and we're trusting him, uh, he, we can rely on him. He's what we need. And so our lives are meant to be a living sacrifice, much like that bagel that I mentioned earlier, right? That's a no longer living sacrifice that died in the microwave. But our lives are meant to be a living sacrifice. And what that means is that everything we have, everything that we are, uh, every part of us, belongs to him and is meant to be dedicated to him. And that leads us to the third thing. We cannot serve two masters in our life. There's no compromise. There's only room in our lives for one altar, and we learned about that last week as a part of Gideon's story. So if this were a television show or if you were binging on Netflix right now, there'd be this really annoying moment where you just want to watch the show, and yet they go ahead and they recap the show that you just watched. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Right? So it's like previously on Judges the series, chapter 6, Gideon. The people of Israel were living in the land that God had promised, but just barely. Oh, God, help us! He answered the cries for deliverance by calling Gideon to rise up. Gideon doubts God, so God brings him a task at home to build up his faith, which was tearing down the altar. He pulls down the idols. He builds a new altar and sacrifices a sacred cow by using the broken down idols as firewood, right? Because they do it as quick as they possibly can so they can get to the show. The town discovers this, but before they could kill him, Gideon's dad, Joash, threatens the men to let Baal defend himself. If he so chooses, if he's really a powerful God. And now we continue with the story of Gideon, right? So Gideon just completed this daunting task, right? Of tearing down this idol. And it was a big deal. I mean, it was scary for him to do this. This idol at home, he stands up to all the people, including his own family, in obedience to God. And that would have been a hard thing. And here's the deal. It could have been a disaster. Like, it could have gone the wrong way. And it could have been... Basically, resulting in his death. They could have killed him. But God is with Gideon, just as he promised he would be, just as he said he would be. So I imagine, if I were Gideon in this moment, that I would have maybe a little bit of confidence at this point, right? It's like, you know, God just told me to do this thing. I mean, we really don't know if Gideon had a complete sense of what God was about to ask him to do, right? So it could have been in his mind, much like it is in ours. Maybe he thought that just tearing down that idol was all... He had to do, right? It's like, okay, I'm done. Yes, nailed it, right? I totally did that. I did what God said, and I didn't die. Bonus, right? Pretty cool. Maybe tearing down the idol is how God's going to defeat the Midianites. I don't know. Actually, here's what happens. Judges 6, 33. Now, all the Midianites... And the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel, right? So what does that mean? After Gideon's first test, immediately following the very next verse, the enemy begins to assemble. They start forming ranks. They start coming together. Now, previously, in this whole situation, the enemies would come through, but it was more of like a guerrilla warfare, terrorism type of situation. You know, they would come through, they would devastate things, steal crops, kill some people, and then they would take off. Anything they could do, basically, just to keep the people from being able to establish their life within this land, they would do that. And then they would go back to their regular business, their regularly scheduled programming, so to speak. But this time is different. They start to amass. They start to form these ranks for warfare. The enemy's purpose is clear. Total annihilation. At this point, it's on. They are coming to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So it's not hard to imagine, if you're Gideon in this story, to look out there and see that and begin to start doubting again, right? You're like... Hang on a second, this is not what I signed up for. Little did he know it was what he signed up for. I imagine there was this moment of what did I get myself into here? What is going on? As he watched the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all of the surrounding Bedouin forces come together in this valley and start to prepare for war, probably grunting at each other, Grr, You're a man! We're to kill these dogs! You're dead! Right? you got to put some flesh and blood on this story. It's like a Christmas story. Come here! I'm sure this all looked very grim and overwhelming. So I want you to think back for just a second, and this is a personal question, but think back to a time in your life, maybe a moment where God challenged you to step out. And he empowered you to do that, and you began to do that. And like things were starting to happen. And then he maybe even gave you just a little bit of a push, right? Because sometimes he has to do that. And only to succeed in that thing, and then suddenly you face an even larger wave of opposition. Have you ever had a time in your life that that's happened? If you've been, just raise your hand. I just want to see you. Okay, that's kind of what I thought. Maybe it was last week, actually. I mean, I've talked to some of you guys, and God was doing some stuff in this room last week. Tearing down idols in our lives. And then, it was no surprise that the following week, what happens, right? If you've been living this for any length of time, you know that usually the week following something like this amazing mountaintop experience with God, that's when the enemy comes against us, right? Right? We step up to make these major changes in our lives. We topple idols. But God is moving in our lives, and that threatens the enemy. He doesn't like that. So, I mean, if we really got a hold of what God could do with us, if we just completely surrendered to him, I mean, it would blow our minds. It probably would scare us, but it would also blow our minds. Well, the enemy knows. The enemy already knows. He knows he stands zero chance If we ever get a hold of the fact that with God's power on our side, that it's on, he's done. I mean, he's already done, okay? We we know that. He knows this. So when we find some success, immediately the enemy does whatever he can to stop us. I read read this statistic a little while ago. Um, I think it was published by the... uh, Pew Research Center, but they were talking about pastors and different ministry leaders. And the statistic was something like uh, most pastors, even brand new pastors that are in charge of like a ministry, don't last past three years. That's like stunning to me. Like that right out of college, they go into ministry, they don't last in that role in three years and they go do whatever else they do. But the same article said that if we can just weather that storm, right? If the pastor can just weather those three years, like the following three years or however long that goes, like it's on. Like things, are, things really start moving. Like God starts to move in those communities. And I think that that's an illustration of the enemy doing whatever he can to stop us at the beginning. Uh, Jesus told us in John 10.10 10 that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy And the enemy of our soul has that same agenda, and it's what he uses to discourage us. And so I know you guys are big fans of alliteration and letters and things like that to help you remember things. So I've come up with something to help you remember his tactics, and I'm calling them the Devil's Deadly D's. The Devil's Deadly D's. Here's what they are. The first thing he does is he tries to despoil, which simply means to steal away the victory. Whatever God's done in that moment, he wants to steal that away. He wants to do whatever he can to immobilize us and paralyze us in that moment. Did God really ask me to do that? I mean, I know that I felt this thing, but did I really feel that thing? The second thing he does is he tries to dispatch He tries to kill the dream to foil the plan to snuff it out before it can ever grow or reach maturity because he knows if that happens Other people will be impacted because that's how it works And then he's got a whole bunch of us on his hands And then the third thing to destroy he wants to wreck anything that he can so that we will become discouraged and give up That's how he works And here's a bonus d for you This is his main tactic he wants to divide and he wants to conquer. If he can isolate us, if he can make us feel like we're all alone or if he can cause division between us and others within our families or our friendships, the likelihood of our ability to follow through on whatever plan it is that he's revealed to us decreases. I mean, what happens? Like God's doing all this awesome stuff in your life and then all of a sudden it's like some relationship blows up in your life. It's like, "Well, what how did that happen?" I don't think it's a coincidence. So here's the deal. This is what we're talking about today. If we're going to pursue God's will for our lives, we need each other, people. We need each other. So back to Gideon. True to his word, God is with him, and he clothes him in his Ruach hakadesh, which is the Holy Spirit or his spirit. And in Judges, in the book of Judges, this is usually related to calling up an army. Which is interesting. We'll talk about that here in just a second. So we move forward to Judges 6.34. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet. Right? And the Abizarites were called out to follow him. That sounded like the imperial margarine trumpet or something. I'm not sure what that was. Some of you are old enough to know what that is. So he sounds the trumpet. And the people respond. And here's what's interesting. If you were with us last week. The Bezerites are his people. These are the people that he just picked a fight with last week when he tore down their idol. The ones that, I say we hang them and then we kill them. Right? Those people. This tells me something here. And you have to read between the lines, but that moment, that decisive moment where he took a stand made a huge impression on his people. And if you remember, it started with his father, Joash, who comes to his defense. And now the people, his own people are following him. I think there's a lesson there for us, folks, that when we take a stand for God, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes people come against us. But oftentimes people are just waiting for someone to follow. That's how discipleship works. We never know what God's going to do when we're obedient. So. The people of Israel and their allies, like in this surrounding situation, I need to explain this. They were a collection of tribes. They had no centralized government. There was no king ruling them. There was no one person that they all looked to. It was all these different tribes with their different leaders. And so it was really hard for them to work together in times of danger. As a matter of fact, that's probably part of the reason why this is happening, because they are not a unified people. The measure of a leader in such situations like this, was his ability to compel others to follow him, even though he had no office or command. Now, Gideon wasn't a king. He wasn't a leader. As a matter of fact, he told us several weeks ago that he kind of was nothing. He was the runt. He was the runt of the runtiest family, right? And so that might have been what he was thinking when he politely declined God's offer to do this thing through him. It's like, I'm not sure i the guy you're looking for. Right? The measure of a leader in such situations is his ability to compel others to follow him, even though he had no kingship or anything over them. So, Gideon's like, who is going to follow me? But here's why they do. The Spirit of the Lord clothed him. This assurance that whatever God calls us to, he's going to help us finish it. He's going to help us get it done. When we call for help, he's going to send in the Calvary, so to speak. Verse 35, and so he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. So the surrounding tribes also start responding to Gideon's call to arms. And here's what's interesting. It's because of his bravery in asking them. Let me try and explain that. Because of the fact that he asked them in this situation, it told them something in their brains. And, of course, the Holy Spirit's at work here, too. But it told them, listen, if this guy is brave enough to ask us to come help him, number one, he must need help. And number two, God must be involved. They believed it to be a clear indication of the Lord's authority at work. I think that's kind of interesting. So Gideon's action here displays something critical that we must all get a hold of people this is controversial. I usually don't warn you. I just like to watch your hair go. <laughs> when I want to put something up here. You can only discover your destiny within the context of community. You're like, hmm. Let me explain. I, the new Rebellion Handbook kind of talks about it in this way. When God put you together, he gave you a set of strengths, gifts, and ability. Kind of like a superhero. But along with those assets, he also gave you a, a set of liabilities. Your own unique weaknesses, your blind spots and shortcomings. And while those things, for most of us, can be a source of frustration, they're actually a gift from heaven. Let me explain. God built each one of us, folks, to be dependent on one another. You ever think about that? First upon him... And then second, upon other people. So this means that we are absolutely dependent upon this community. If we're going to come into the wholeness that he wants us to come into. You may not like that. But you need us. And we need you. God designed this interdependence and it's the goal of the church, which is our spiritual community. That's what it's all about, this interdependence. And we will not reach the full potential of what God has for us, what he wants us to be. We're not going to reach that full potential by ourselves, folks. It's not going to happen. That's why the apostles gave so much instruction on how we're supposed to get along and live together. If you think about it, they spend a lot of time talking to the people of the early church and to these communities saying, Hey, do this. Don't do this. Hey, you guys shouldn't be fighting. Hey, this guy should do this. Hey, make this guy go over here. They spent so much time talking about that stuff, and the reason is, is because it's crucial. It's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be dependent on each other. Even Jesus needed his disciples and friends to accomplish everything the Father had intended for him to do. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, there were some things that he had to walk through alone. But think about that moment when he's in the garden and he's praying and he asks them to pray with him and how upset and how hurt he is when they keep falling asleep. I mean, they just had a lot of wine, so it's a little bit understandable. It's true. Passover. But he needed friends. He needed... His guys, his inner circle, the three. Now, I'm not saying community is always easy. You have to love this guy, right? People are complicated and relationships can get messy, but especially real ones. And this is a community of real relationships. It is. It's always interesting to watch new people come in and they... Uh uh. (laughs) Nope. Send a little too close to that guy. Mm -mm. True community, folks, is defined by a deep level of commitment people have to one another and the mission that Jesus calls us to, which is to love God and love one another together and to make disciples. That's our mission. And that's how his community works. That's how it's defined. And this is demonstrated by our willingness, folks, to work through the messes to accomplish the mission that the Messiah gave us. Are we willing to put in the hard work? Because we live in this society where everything's disposable, even friends. If he posts one more puppy video, he's gone. No, I don't want to see what you're eating today. We're a band of brothers and sisters with God's kingdom in common, folks. And that calling brings us together, but then it sends us out together too, which is really cool. It's like nothing else. So we work through the messes, not only for our own good, because God does stuff in us when we work through that. But for the good of others, too, because we're supposed to be about that, loving one another. And interestingly, there's a scientific study that confirms the fact that we need each other. This article, January 30th, 2017, Vox.com. The title of this article is, Loneliness Actually Hurts Us on a Cellular Level. I don't think it can be any more clear than that. A scientist explains how the pain of loneliness makes us sick. Check this out. Loneliness is associated with higher blood pressure and heart disease. It literally breaks our hearts. A 2015 Meta review, whatever that is, of 70 studies showed that loneliness increases the risk of your chance of dying by 26%. Compare that to depression and anxiety, which is associated with a comparable 21% increase in mortality. The article cites that chronic loneliness is responsible for an increasing inflammatory response in the body. And as you know, if your body's inflamed, that's not a good thing. The results, which have been replicated in larger and more longitudinal studies, suggest people who are lonely are more susceptible to chronic diseases and less able to fight off immediate threats, and that may explain the increase in mortality among lonely people. Doesn't that just make you sad? I mean, doesn't that break your heart to hear that? In other words, folks, God designed us to need each other. On a cellular level, that's crazy. Science! That's amazing. Ephesians 3.10, and this is from the New Living Translation. I like this. God's purpose, bless you. God's purpose in all this. Well, first off, we need to get this taken care of. Parent needed for child 197. Your, child can't, your child's just doing what we've just taught. They can't be alone. They need you. So God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Even unseen forces, angels in heaven and all the other weird creatures and things that God has created out there that we can't see, which there are numerous. That's kind of cool. All of them are amazed by God on display in communities of believers where they function the way that they're supposed to. I mean, imagining like angels, they're not in the outfield, they're hanging out at churches and they're like, did you see that? How good our God is. He just helped that person and no one even saw it. Did you see her just hand that woman $50 for her need? God, you're awesome. I know we tell you all the time, and we will forever, but man! The book that I mentioned earlier suggests some practical ways that our lives are strengthened by the relationships that we have within this church community. And what's cool is each of these things are also illustrated in the story of Barnabas and Paul in the book of Acts. And so, if you've not read the book of Acts, by the way, But especially like chapters 10 through 12-ish, it's the bomb. You just need to check it out. It's a great illustration of what we're supposed to be like. So one of the first places that Paul and Barnabas established a community of believers was in Antioch. No, not down the street at the mall. We're talking about on the other side of the world, Antioch. It was a city. The mission there started as a result. Get this. The whole thing started because of persecution. The people of God, these new believers, were being persecuted in Jerusalem and bad stuff was going down. As a matter of fact, one man who stood up to everybody to point the way to the Messiah, Stephen, was actually killed. He was martyred for his belief as he preached to the people there. So a handful of those early believers had to get out of town. So they escaped to a handful of different cities including Antioch. And when they got there, they found new people in Antioch who were receptive to this message. They're like, this is cool. Please tell us more, this good news about Yeshua and what he's done for us. What they found there is they found stability. So that's the first thing that community gives us. Community stabilizes. You need your brothers and your sisters in church community, partly because life can suck at times. It's being real with you. Bad things happen. Hard things happen. And when they do, who's going to be your anchor? I mean, yeah, of course, Jesus is going to be your anchor, but like practically, real human beings, who is going to be your anchor in life? Your church community should be your anchor when life is rocked by circumstances. And I can proudly say that that's one of the things I think we do the best around here. I mean DC Cares is a great example of that. So many things happen within this community that the leaders don't we don't even know about you guys doing and helping and coming alongside and ministering. That's what it's about. Community stabilizes. I know many of your stories and I know a lot of you are going through really really hard things right now. Really hard things. Some of the hardest things maybe you've ever faced in your life and I can't tell you how many times that my wife and I have had this conversation when we hear about something that's going on within our community and watching people step up to meet that need. More, it's like, how do people that don't have people make it through stuff like this? And believe it or not, there are so many people out there that don't have anyone. How do people make it through this? And I think the answer oftentimes is they don't. They don't make it through. Our community, folks, stabilizes our lives. So all this cool stuff was going on. And word gets back to Jerusalem that God was moving in Antioch there. So they said, hey, Barnabas, we need you to go down there or up there, whichever it is. We need you to help this new community get on its feet. Acts eleven twenty three picks it up. And when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. Let's just stop right there for a second. How many times have you walked into a situation and saw the grace of God and you're like, yeah, try it. It's awesome. Anyway, and he exhorted, which means encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. God was with them and their numbers increased. So despite this persecution, and I actually think this is a kingdom principle, despite this persecution that's happening in Jerusalem, this community was growing. Despite the persecution that's happening in China, the church is growing. Anywhere that there's persecution in this world of believers, that's where it's on. That's where it's happening. Those are the battle lines they've been drawn, and God's church always seems to rise up in those places. We talk about persecution here, but usually it's persecution as in the Starbucks cups didn't say anything about Christmas on them this year. We don't even understand persecution, people. So this community was growing fast, and the word spread, and then it continues. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Things are blowing up at Antioch, man. It's awesome. And even though Barnabas obviously had God's anointing, and Barnabas obviously had the good favor and the belief of the people that had sent him from Jerusalem, his brothers, they were confident in his ability. Barnabas recognized that if he was going to succeed in this mission, he needed help. He recognized that if he was going to get this done, he had to have somebody help him. So he goes to find Saul or Paul, whichever you prefer, and he brings him back with him. And they spend a year, folks, instructing the new community on how to function properly. And that's the next one. Community (laughs) instructs. As we all mix together, that's what it looks like. As we all mix together with our strengths and our weaknesses, This place essentially comes what I like to call a great big laboratory. It's a big laboratory. Well, laboratory? Are there experiments later? Yes, there are experiments every week. Some of them succeed and some of them fail. Oftentimes, as a part of worship. We live in this big laboratory. There's a freedom here. And that freedom is that we can practice our faith out in a safe environment because the whole idea is that we take this outside. And part of that mix is instruction. Being encouraged yet challenged. Being comforted at times and corrected at others. Instruction is part of how God shapes us into the people that he wants us to be. And so, and get this, because this is probably the most important part of instruction. Our level of humility is the only barrier to the fullness of this work. There are people out here, probably all of you, that know way more about the Bible than this guy. And yet, for whatever reason... I'm here and you're there. But there are other times, like Wednesdays, and moments where we get together where the roles are reversed. And that's one of the things I love about this place. We all work in the gifts that we have and we all teach and share from those gifts. And I probably learned way more living out life with you guys than you'll ever learn from me. And that's okay, that's awesome because ultimately, God's the instructor. Not me, not you. And so our level of humility, our willingness to serve others, is the only barrier to how full that work can be. There's always something to learn from someone else. It's a great way to get past pride. If you look at every other person and say, that person has something they can teach me, Soapbox moment, okay? I'm stepping up onto it now for just a second. Here's some instruction. I want you to think about your daily life for just a second. The things you do. The things that you say. Do your actions and words reflect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? The fruit basket of the Spirit. Or... Do your actions and words reflect things like enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy? Let me just say this. If you're stirring that stuff up in people, online or otherwise, Galatians 5 warns us that people who do things like this, along with some other choice things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's very clear. So here's the challenge for us. Let's see how... Wouldn't it be cool to, be, to love someone so much that it's almost annoying? Some of you feel that way when I hug you. <laughs> okay. Too close, personal space, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all things that are, very, that are lacking in this world. And they're all things we're called to be. And so it just makes me beg the question, why don't we see it more in us? Why aren't we throwing that down? I love the, hey, let's take over Facebook with pictures of art. Yes. Puppy bowl, bring it on. Okay, stepping off soapbox now. Community is not just for our benefit. That's kind of what I'm trying to say here. A healthy community exists to bless others well. And so because of Barnabas and Paul's investment of time into this young church in Antioch, they are able to reach outside their walls. And it's really cool because they send money to help meet the needs of believers in Judea. They actually empower the believers in Judea through this gift. And that's the next thing. Community empowers. When community works correctly, trust develops. And every member rises up to serve in their strengths and to cover each other's weaknesses. Sometimes I think we get that wrong. We want to serve in our strengths and point out other people's weaknesses. But no, it's to serve in our strengths and cover each other's weaknesses. I live with this amazing woman, Valerie Brown. And let me just say that she covers my weaknesses. Math girl, grammar queen, spell check. The list goes on. The little voice of the Holy Spirit. Are you really sure you need to keep that? (laughs) We're supposed to be that for each other. Because when that happens, it releases each of us into our true destiny where we are empowered to serve God using the unique gifts that he's placed within us. And listen, this is a room full of unique people. Chief unique here, man. I'm on it. God has called all of us together for something special. He didn't call us to replicate whatever's happening across the street or down the street. We need those men and women. We need all of the churches in this area because the truth be told Liberty's growing. But only thirty three percent or so of the people that live in this town, maybe less now, actually attend a church on a regular week. What does that say? That says we need more places for them to be. I mean we've got room, come on in. But not everybody can get with this, is that's what I'm saying. You know? I understand that. God uses these unique gifts, and this allows us to stand firm no matter what comes. And here's why. Because we're a part of something bigger. When it's just about ourselves, it's very easy to give up. But when you know that other people are counting on you and that you're a part of something bigger, you press on, you press forward. And what's bigger than God's kingdom? Nothing. I'll answer that one for you. So, how exciting this must have been. This early church in Acts and the way that they're selflessly giving and helping each other and strengthening each other, and things are going crazy. I mean, even King Herod intensified his efforts to persecute these new believers, and the church joined together to defend itself. Well, how do they do that? Through prayer. We see they start to intensify their prayer community defends. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our battle is not against people, but it's against the rulers and authorities operating on this cosmic level. It's like these dark forces of evil in the spirit realm. Now, you may feel like that's just science fiction, or you might find it hard to believe, but Paul felt it was important enough to mention many times, and we actually see evidence all over God's word of this. So, as we step up in our leadership ability, that makes us an ever-increasing target. Like I was talking about earlier, when God starts to do something really cool and you like, buy in, you're all in, you jump in, and then all of a sudden that's when the enemy comes against you. The same thing happens when you step up to lead. And if you don't believe me, pick anyone in this room that you've ever seen stand up here before and ask them. They will tell you, yes. The moment I said yes, I will do X. I've kind of started to suck a little bit. I can tell you this sales pitch is really working well right now. It's like, oh, honey, if they ever ask me to be an elder, remind me to say no. We should not be afraid because here's why. We need brothers and sisters waging war on our behalf in prayer to protect us from the enemy and sometimes to protect us from ourselves. I can just tell you that when I'm struggling with something or I'm feeling like I've hit a wall, Or if I'm working on a message Time and time again I can tell you guys that I know the moment that somebody starts praying Because all of a sudden It breaks open And it's working Things start working And texts that I've been looking at for days All of a sudden Jump up Like whoever among you started praying at 1130 last night You think I'm kidding These are real life examples here folks I don't dance This is it So keep praying. Not just for me, for your leaders, for your elders, for your admin board people, for each other. So back to Barnabas and Paul. A short time later, things start to culminate. And this whole leadership team grows out of this church in Antioch. These people that they've invested in for a year. This thing that started as this ragtag collection of refugees from Jerusalem all of a sudden starts to spring to life. And there are people that are now the leaders of that group. And so those leaders, they spend time in worship and prayer and they fast together and God releases wisdom and direction, which we're going to talk about next week. You're going to want to be here for that one. And this team interpreted his will to send Paul and Barnabas out of Antioch on their first missionary journey. So first they receive because they need the help, and then they grow and they're able to send. And so community interprets. What does that mean? Well, often we lack the big picture. We lack the life experience. We lack whatever it is, the thing for us to see past whatever's going on in our lives. It's hard to have an objective view when life's a mess and you're right in the middle of it. I mean, how many times have you had a problem that you couldn't get your head around? And so you go to a friend that you can trust, and you're like, listen, I've got this thing going on, and I'm confused, and I don't really know what to do, and let me spill it, and then you'd like spill the whole thing, and like, well, yeah, you know what you need to do? You need to take X, you need to move it over to C, and then B. And like, boom, it's like done. It's like, that was simple. How did you do that? It's an objective viewpoint. It's somebody that's outside your situation that, that can see it. I think it's easy for us to get a distorted view of things without men and women that we trust walking alongside us. But we have to give those men and women the freedom to speak into our lives, too. It doesn't do any good if we just walk together all the time. It's like, you know, I've been meaning to talk with you about something. I don't want to hear that. No. We need men and women in our lives with the freedom to speak into them so that they can help us. And listen, I'm not saying that any of us have this thing perfected. Because that's why it's a laboratory. We're still human. We still fall short. And that's why the church is the body, right? Scripture describes the church as this body made up of all these different parts. And the body likes to dance. But Jesus, he's the head of the body. And so, we may want to do a little bit of this, but Jesus may say, no, I want you to do this. (laughs) Right? It's like the head's communicating to the body, and if we don't follow the orders, what good are we? It's, he's the head of the body, and he's saying, this is what I want you to do. These are the people I want you to reach out to. This is where I want you to walk. This is what I want you to say. Here's where I want you to go. So that his ways... His thoughts and desires become our motivation to action. I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. Right? Some of you guys know that one. If you don't, I'm sorry. Together and only together can the kingdom of God flow on earth. It's not a one-man show. It's not a one-woman show. That's why Jesus needed people. If Jesus needed people, how much more do we need people? Right? Let me wrap it up with this. God's will for our lives is not singular. It's shared. He may call you to do specific things. In fact, he probably will. I mean, we can't all go to your job at Cerner with you, although it could be fun. There are parts of our life, yes, that we do live singular, but God's will for our lives is not just a personal thing. It's a community thing. It's a collective thing they are parts of that that we share. We need each other. His purpose for you and for me is always related. Always. Always related to making him known to other people. Every single thing that you see in Scripture every time God pours out some kind of powerful thing or does a sign or does something awesome that's like, whoa, how did that happen? Every time, the purpose is to empower someone so that they can lead other people to him. It's what it's all about. It's not about us. It's about him. You can only discover your destiny within the context of community. That's what I'm trying to say. And here's what's awesome. He's patient and he's kind. All those aspects that we just mentioned that we're supposed to be. He's all those things. He knows we're working. He knows that we're not perfect. He knows I'm weird. And yet here we are all together. You guys bow your hearts with me. Father God, I don't tell you this enough, but thank you for allowing me to serve you. Thank you, God, that that we don't have to fumble around like the people of old, wondering about whether one of a huge pantheon of God's Names that we can't even remember, whether they're angry with us or whether they're not, or whether the crops are failing because we did something to offend one of them. That that with you, we know that number one, you love us. And number two, that you gave everything for us. And that no matter what happens in our lives, that the purpose is always to draw us to you. So God, I thank you. I thank you that we get to serve you, and I thank you that I get to serve you with this group of people. The men and the women in this room who've walked through some hard things, who've had some good things happen, God. Within this community, there's so much represented, and I just thank you for it. Father, I just pray that each one of us, as we're continuing to tear down these idols in our lives, in finding this purpose that you have for us. I pray that it would only draw us closer to you and closer to each other. God, I pray for bravery, maybe for those that are in this room who struggle to trust. I pray that not only they would take a chance and trust someone, but I pray that we would reciprocate that. God, for those that are in this room who are lonely or have people in their lives that are lonely, I just pray that you would put good, godly men and women in their lives. Friendships that can strengthen them. Others that can comfort and challenge us. Others that can speak into our lives. God, we just want to be what you want us to be. We want to look the way that you want us to look. And I know, God, that that starts with the people that surround me right now. So do everything that you want to do in our hearts. We just open ourselves to you and we say, we're yours. All we need is you. We thank you for the beautiful people that you've blessed us with. And all these things are in your name. Amen.